Amen. Well, this morning, I thought what uh, I'd like to do is take a closer look at this man called Peter. Much of the book of, much of, the book of Acts focuses on the ministry of Peter. In Acts chapter 1 through 7, we see the ministry of Peter to the Jews. In Acts chapter 8, we see Peter's ministry towards the Samaritans. Acts chapters 10 and 11, we see his ministry towards Gentiles. In Acts chapter 12, we see Peter um, arrested and miraculously delivered. And so, you know, I think that there are some vital lessons that we can learn from Peter. And I think the Lord wants to encourage us this morning as we consider this man. It's interesting to me, as we've mentioned before, God's plan, and we see it very clearly in uh, the book of Acts, but God's plan is to use ordinary people to take the gospel to the world. You know, so many people and Maybe um, there's some here this morning, maybe some of you are this way that think that, you know, God only calls special people to the ministry. You know, they often think that God only uses pastors and missionaries and evangelists. You know, people often will even think, you know, God couldn't use me, nor does he want to use me or anyone like me. Well, the reality is that's just not true. That's not true. Where do you think that idea comes from? That idea comes from the enemy, right? To think that God can't use you. God calls ordinary people like you and me to be pastors, to be missionaries, to be evangelists. In fact, if you're a Christian, which I'm trusting all of us are this morning, if you're a Christian, then you're in full-time ministry. That's just the reality of it, right? Your ministry is the workplace. Your ministry is family and friends, kids and grandkids. Your ministry is the people at the grocery store, the people at the post office. Your ministry is towards those people that you come into regular contact with, you know, on, on, on a regular basis, right? Peter was just a fisherman when he was called by Jesus. Matthew 4.18 tells us, and Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen, right? Peter was just an ordinary guy when Jesus called Peter to follow him, right? God's heart is to use ordinary people. But honestly, this is the real question. How many ordinary people are willing to respond to his call? Right? So often people will say, you know what? I'm not qualified to be used by God. Well, guess what? I've got news for you. None of us are. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've been faced with a situation that I've never seen before. And I know that this is the kind of thing that pastors aren't supposed to confess. But I'll be honest with you. Uh, for the last 25, 28 years, more often than not, I feel like I am in over my head. Because, you know, I don't know what to do. And the reality is, all of us, we all are in the school of the Holy Spirit. Right? The way we learn what to do is by doing. 
And God often puts us in situations that we're not qualified for, that we don't know exactly what to do, you know, or how to handle that situation. And he does it so that we'll look to him. He does it so that we'll fall on our knees before him and cry out to him for wisdom, for understanding, for direction, for help, so that he can then lead us and direct us so that he can get the glory, right? He does it so that we get used to seeking him, not leaning on our own understanding or, or relying on our own natural abilities or wisdom. Again, God does it so that he can receive all of the glory. Yeah, I, I, I hear you, Gary, but you know, I'm not worthy to be involved in any type of ministry. Again, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. You know what? Hey, none of us are worthy. None of us are worthy. None of us are ever going to be worthy. And, and again, where do you think that idea comes from? Right? It comes from the enemy. He wants us to quit before we begin. He doesn't want us to be used by God for his purposes, for his glory, in any measure. The last thing the enemy wants is for us to be effective for Jesus. So, we see Peter, he's just an ordinary guy. He's just a fisherman. And I also think it's very instructive for us to consider how Peter was saved. Who told Peter about Jesus and who brought him to the Lord? Do you remember anyone? Andrew. Yeah, it was Andrew, his brother, right? We read in John 1, 41 and 42, says he, speaking of Andrew, first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, right? It was his own brother that brought Peter to the Lord. And, and this, I think, should be very, very encouraging to us. This should be a strong encouragement to us. I know for me, my sister Judy, my old, uh, I have two sisters, I'm the baby, uh, Judy, my oldest sister, she was the first one in our family to get saved, right? And my sister and my grandmother, uh, they prayed for me. You know, my grandma and grandpa, they always took me to Sunday school every time I was staying at their house as a little kid. I loved going to their house. You know, later my mom took me to a neighborhood Bible study uh, that was held a few doors down from our house. And at age 11, I, I gave my heart to the Lord, but I didn't understand that Jesus wanted to come into my heart and express his life through mine. So it wasn't long uh, before I fell away and I started doing my own thing. And as a teenager, you know what? I got caught up in drugs and drinking and, and things like that. And I was pretty much uh, a lost cause, literally a lost cause. But my grandma and my mom and my sister, they kept praying for me. And one day the Lord put it on the heart of a young girl to uh, begin to pray for me. Her name was Tina. And uh, she prayed for me for a full year. She still prays for me, right? <laughs> she still prays for me. But she, God put it on her heart to pray for me. And when, and when the opportunity arose, Tina and her mom began to witness to me. They told me about the love of Jesus, the love that he had for me, and how he wanted me to let him love me. And then one night, you know, in, in the middle of my apartment, 
I just got on my knees and I just said, Lord, if that's true, if you'll show me that that's true, uh, you know, that you really do love me, I'll give you my heart. I'll give you my life. And you know what? To my surprise, he showed me, hey, it's true, right? He really does love me and he loves you too, right? He loves us with an everlasting love, the Bible says. He loves us as we are, but he loves us so much that he's not willing to leave us as we are. And I'm so thankful for that truth. And today I'm so thankful for those people who faithfully prayed for me, right? Those people who continue to faithfully pray for me, you know, because I'm nothing more than a broken down fixer upper. When you look at me, you need to see a sign over my head under construction, you know, and that's what God's doing. God is working in me through the circumstances of life, right, to conform me into the image of his son. But that's not the end of the story, right? Uh, after a while, Tina and I, we began praying for my dad and my other sister, right? And years after years after years of praying for my dad, you know, my dad came to the Lord the last day he was able to speak. Um, you know, uh, Tina and I, uh, we, we were able to lead my dad in a prayer to receive the Lord as a Savior. And that was the last day my dad was able to speak. That was the last day uh, he was conscious. That was a, he, he didn't get out of bed after that day. And you know, two and a half weeks later, uh, the Lord um, took him home. And, uh, you know, I shared it with you before, but after I did my dad's funeral, the Lord spoke to my heart and just encouraging me saying, Gary, all those prayers you prayed for your dad, they weren't wasted. I heard every one of them. And, you know, it's such a comfort for me. Years before my dad died, my other sister, uh, the middle child, the troubled child, I should say. I hope she's not watching. <laughs> but, you know, uh, my other sister, you know, she came to the Lord. You know, we prayed for her and she came to the Lord and her husband too. Tina and I had witnessed uh, to them many times about Jesus and they saw our walks with the Lord. And, um, you know, when my other sister gave her heart to Jesus, you know, it wasn't that big of a surprise to me because she had expressed interest in the Lord before, you know, and, you know, it was, it's just great to see how the Lord moved in my sister's life, how she grew in, in her relationship with the Lord, and she became a big supporter of ours in the ministry. But what was really surprising to me, the big surprise is when my brother-in-law came to the Lord. I mean, we prayed for him, and I confess, often I thought, there is just no way. This is impossible, right? But then some years ago, um, when all this was taking place, you know, Tina and I, our family, we were still missionaries. We were back in the States uh, for one of Tina's brother's um, weddings, right? One of his, not one of his weddings, but for Tina, one of Tina's brother's wedding, right? It was the first time he's ever been married, uh, last time, hopefully. Uh, but anyway, we were there in the States, and my brother-in-law, uh, he pulls out a Bible, and he asks me a question. And then, you know what? I mean, like, it took me back. I was floored by it. And I almost said to him, who are you, and what have you done with my brother-in-law? Because it, it was just so shocking. 
You know, and as times passed, I heard many stories regarding how my brother-in-law and my sister, they were, they were growing in faith, you know, and, 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 and how God was moving in their lives. It was such a blessing. I was so blessed. Another time when I was back in the States, you know, visiting a number of churches and we were raising support. Uh, I was so blessed because my brother-in-law invited me to a, a, a men's study at the church that they were attending. And, uh, you know, my, my sister and brother-in-law, that same trip, uh, they also took me to a home fellowship that they were part of. And I tell you, it was just so sweet to see them praying and to see them uh, worshiping and singing praise to our Savior. And the encouragement, and the reason why I'm sharing all of this uh, with you is that God is able to reach our family members. Don't give up on your family members. You know, I'm so thankful my family didn't give up on me. Keep praying for them, right? Even if years go by and it just seems like nothing's happening, you know, it just seems impossible. No, the Lord is working. You know, don't give up on them. And maybe you have family members or friends that aren't walking with the Lord. You know, maybe your husband, your wife, uh, your kids are not where they need to be with the Lord. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them, right? Maybe your kids, they're going down the wrong path like I was. Don't give up on them. Keep praying for them. Maybe your mom or dad, a brother or sister, you know, they're not, they're not where they need to be with the Lord. Hey, keep praying for them. Don't give up on them, right? And when the doors open to share with them, you know, you tell them how much Jesus loves them, how much he desires, desperately desires a relationship for them, knowing that it's the kindness and the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Remember, when the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, asked them, said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Right? And Paul's reply, uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Hey, what, what did Paul mean when he said that? Right? He was saying to that, that jailer, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be saved and God will use your faith in Christ to have an effect on your family, right? His faith wasn't able to be applied to his family members as saving faith, but his faith would be enough to show his family the love and the mercy and the grace of God. And that God is abundantly willing to pour out uh, his grace and mercy upon them too. Right? If they would be willing to place their faith in him. Right? It's the promise of God for us as believers. He wants to work in our families through our faith. You know, I think there are probably many people here uh, whose family... Uh, you know, whose, whose uh, family is walking with the Lord as a result of your faith. You know, that's the case for us. Like I said, my brother-in-law and my, my dad. Um, there are others here that are walking with the Lord because of their family's faith, which is my case in, in, a, in a real deal. Uh, you know, 
Uh, God is using the faith of others, using our faith to positively affect our loved ones. And, and uh, it's just a beautiful promise uh, of God. I wonder if maybe uh, that's where some of us are today, right? You need to know that God wants to use your faith in Jesus Christ to draw friends and family, you know, close relatives, distant relatives to him. And the encouragement of the Lord for us is don't give up on them. Don't give up on God's ability to abundantly, uh, not only abundantly, but exceedingly abundantly above to do greater things than we could ever think or imagine. Right? Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and we're going to take a look at verses 1 through 11 real quick. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. We read, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. Then they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at his feet saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Of course, there are many lessons for us that we can, uh, you know, glean from this uh, passage of Scripture. But I think it's worth noticing verse 7. It says, they came and filled both the boats so that they became to sink. Don't you think that's the way it really is? I mean, don't you think that this is a picture of just how the Lord wants to take our empty lives and fill them and overwhelm them with his blessings? And in verse 8, when Peter realizes who Jesus is, it's then he's able to see who he is and just, you know, how far short he comes in light of who Jesus is. It's then that he's able to confess that he's a sinner, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. It's only when people see, it's only when our loved ones see Jesus for who he really is, that there they become aware of their sinfulness. You know, it says in Job, when Job was answered by God and, and Job saw God for who he really is, right? It was then that Job said, behold, I am vile, 
Right? Job was simply saying, I'm a sinful man. And Job goes on to say, therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. It was only when Job was able to see God for who he actually is that Job understood the type of man he actually was. He saw God and he saw himself in the light of God and he repented. He turned from his wicked ways. And Isaiah had a, a similar experience. He had a vision of God. You, you know it. It's in Isaiah 6. He had a vision of God sitting on his throne, high and lifted up in the train of his robe, filled the temple. And when Isaiah saw God as he truly is, then he saw who he was. And he said, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I'm a man of, of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know, another example of this would be the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. John sees the glorified, risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and it says that John fell at, us, it fell at his feet like a dead man. Right? And our loving, gentle Savior. You know, it says he lays his hand on John. And what does he say? He says, hey, do not be afraid. You know, that's just what our Jesus does, isn't it? When you come to that place where you see Jesus as he truly is. That place where you recognize just how wretched and sinful you truly are. It's then that he reaches out his hand and he touches us and says, do not be afraid. Again, back in Luke chapter 5, you notice verse 10. That was a similar thing that happened to Peter. Peter sees Jesus for who he truly is. And Peter falls down uh, at Jesus' knees and says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And Jesus says to Peter, do not be afraid. You know, I'm just thinking out loud here, but I wonder if we've come to that place of seeing Jesus for who he really is and recognizing ourselves for who we really are, sinful men and women, not making excuses for our shortcomings, right? Not comparing ourselves with others saying, you know, I'm not as bad as that guy but making an honest confession before the Lord. Lord, I need you. I'm desperately in need of you. I need your mercy because I'm a sinful, wretched man or, or woman. And I wonder if that's where we all are. And I've said it before and, I, and I'll say it again. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I need your prayers. You know, I need Jesus in an ever greater measure. I need him in my marriage. I'm crying out to him to help me be a better husband. I need him in my family. I'm, I'm pleading with the Lord to help me be a better father. I need Jesus in every aspect of daily living. Because like Paul, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. And it's when we come to that recognition, when we come to the end of ourselves, that Jesus lays his hand on us and gently says, don't be afraid. Verse 11 says, so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. 
May I ask you this morning, have you done that? Have you forsaken all to follow Jesus? He is, or I should say, is he? Is he your highest desire? Is he your chief pursuit, your greatest joy? Have you come to that place where Jesus is all you want because you, you realize that he's all you need? Do you see Jesus as your greatest need? Have you come to that place saying, there's nothing that will ever come before Jesus in my life and everything, everything else will at best be a distant second to him. That's what, act, that's what Jesus actually demands of us. He demands this of us as his followers. Luke 14, 46. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus isn't saying that we're to literally hate our mom and our dad. You know, he's not, we're not to hate our parents because that would, be a, that would be clearly contradictory to what the Bible teaches. Exodus 20, verse 12, Deuteronomy 5, 16, uh, Ephesians 6, 2. And Jesus himself said that God commands us to honor our father and mother. What Jesus is saying here in Luke 1446 is that when our love that we have for him is placed side by side with our love and honor for our parents, our, 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 our uh, love for any relationship or anything, when they're laid side by side, our love for those other things should appear in comparison as hatred with our love for him. Our love for him is to be so great that every other love would appear as hatred. You know, and if that's not the case, if we're not completely sold out for Jesus, right? If we allow anything on an ongoing basis to come before him, then Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. Pretty strong words. Pretty strong words. And guess what? Jesus makes no apology for them. And again, I'm just thinking out loud. I, w I wonder if, if we've come to that place. If that's where we're living our lives on a daily basis. You know? And as, a, as, as we're considering this man called Peter, we need to understand Peter made that decision. Peter made that decision to put Jesus first in every area of his life, every aspect of his life, to hold nothing back. Because we read, it says that he forsook all to follow Jesus. Right? And Peter went on to be a man that Jesus would use mightily. What is it that you want your walk with Jesus to look like? What do you want out of your walk with Jesus? You know what? I want to be used by him. I want to be used by him to bring glory to his name. I want to point people to my Savior uh, that they might experience his love and forgiveness like I've experienced it. You know what? Whatever you want from your walk with Jesus, to see that come about, you know, it takes being sold out for him. 
right? Delight yourself in the Lord, the Bible says, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Well, I, I also think it's uh, interesting to note that Peter, not only did Peter uh, leave everything to follow Jesus, but after he made that decision, Peter then received greater revelation of who Jesus is, which was actually essential to Peter throughout his life and ministry. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked the disciples, you remember the story, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, you know, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? And you'll remember that it was Peter that answered and said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And then Jesus said to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Jesus said, Peter, you're blessed. You're blessed. And he said it because Peter received the greater spiritual revelation of who Jesus truly is. May I ask you this morning, have you received greater spiritual revelation of who Jesus truly is? You might be thinking, well, of course I have, Gary. You know, how dare you ask me something like that? I've been saved 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. I've been in this church for, you know, X number of years. I've been a Christian longer than you have. Oh, I don't mean to offend anybody. You know, I ask that question from a heart of love for each one of you. I'm not, I'm not questioning your salvation. I'm just putting it out there, right? That we need to know Jesus as he truly is. Holy righteous, exalted Son of God, God Almighty. And then we need to allow Him to take His rightful place in our lives as Master, as Lord of all, as our King ruling over all that we are, right? In light of who He is, we need to completely and absolutely surrender our entire life to him. We need to yield completely to his will for our lives and abandon, you know, however we may feel uh, or think about his call on our lives, what he's, what he has for us or what he's doing or even what he's not doing in our lives. He deserves nothing less than our lives yielded to him in totality. It's not enough to know about him. It's not enough to confess him with our mouths and then allow our hearts to be far from him. We need to surrender everything to him. And that needs to be done on a daily basis. It's not something that was just supposed to happen the day, you know, that we got saved, right? God forbid that we be those people that confess Jesus with our mouths but fail to trust, to truly trust him with our lives. One, the wonderful thing is, is when we truly and completely uh, entrust our lives in absolute surrender to Jesus is that the more your life is surrendered to him, the greater the spiritual revelation is that he gives to you. Right? regarding his nature, his character, and his heart, and 
his will, and his plan for your life. Right? It's essential not only for salvation, but for our daily walks with Jesus to be surrendered to him in totality in order that we might be fruitful for his kingdom. You know, I, th I think that sometimes people read the Bible and they read about these guys in the Bible. And, and you know, it's easy for us to put them up on a, on a kind of a pedestal, right? To think that somehow they're a different breed. They were special guys. You know, they're, they're nothing like any of us. You know what? Uh, they probably never really had any struggles going through life. You know, they, they had it all together. They're nothing like me. I mean, really, every painting you see of these guys, they all have a halo around their head, right? You know, but it's not true. James writes, James 5, 17, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Peter writes, uh, uh, Paul writes in Galatians 2.11 regarding an incident with Peter. Paul says, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Right? It was because, because Peter played the hypocrite and wouldn't eat with the Gentiles when certain Jews came from Jerusalem. And Peter, uh, sorry, Paul uh, stood up to him and said, hey, that's wrong, buddy. Right? All these guys, every man and woman that God uses in the Bible, they're all real people. They all had real problems, real struggles. They were all imperfect. And God is so very faithful to allow us to see these men whom he used mightily fail and struggle in so many areas. You know, it's actually one of the proofs that the Bible is truly the word of God. Nobody in their right mind would write a religious book and uh, portray the main characters as complete and utter failures. Abraham, the father of faith. Really? The father of faith? He lies. He's willing to lie instead of trusting God in, in his circumstance. You know what? Jacob, he was a lying, conniving, scheming thief. David, he was a terrible father. He was an utter... Failure as a father, not to mention, you know, a hot-headed adulterer who conspired to have one of his own mighty men put to death instead of confessing his sins. Peter, Peter denied the Lord, not once, not twice, but three times he denied the Lord. And he did, the third time he did it was swearing, right? And, and when he was pressed, he, he swore, I never knew this guy. I don't even know what you're talking about. But God, wanting to encourage all of us, puts these men forward, revealing their shortcomings to us. If God can use these guys, if God can use a Peter, hey, you know what? He can certainly use me. And he can use you too. Peter not only struggled with the flesh, he also struggled with the, the devil. And again, failed miserably, failed very miserably. Back in Matthew 16, after uh, hearing Jesus say, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood and not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter was feeling pretty good about himself. You know what? A man of revelation. 
I mean, it kind of has a nice ring, right? It kind of flows off the tongue. And when Peter told his disciples he, he needs to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day, it was Peter who took him aside and rebuked him. I mean, can you imagine rebuking Jesus? <laughs> it's just, Peter, what are you doing? Peter says, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen. In other words, he was saying, no way, Jesus. You got it all wrong. Listen to me, the man of revelation. Right? You got it all wrong. You don't got to go to the cross. Peter, in that moment, was espousing the very thoughts, hopes, and wishes of the devil. That's why Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. For you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Peter struggled. Peter wasn't aware of God's plan. He had no idea what God, God's will was. And you know what? It's so important for us to understand. Apart from knowing God's word, we'll never know or understand his plan. You know, I've said it before, and, and, and I'll say it again and again and again and again. We need to be men and women of the word, so that we can discern God's voice when he's speaking to us. I mean, there's a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of noise out there vying for our attention. But, but uh, and it's all confusing, I think, you know. Uh, but God's voice will never contradict God's word, right? And if God... And God will use you and I in greater and greater ways as we go deeper and deeper in his word and hide it in our hearts, right? It's the only way we'll be mindful of the things of God instead of the things of men. It's the only way we can know that God is directing us in the way that we should go in life. Being students of the Bible is the only way to know how we're to conduct ourselves in ministry, which glorifies the Lord. Well, we also know that Peter, he got his eyes off the Lord. Remember when Peter was with the other guys, they're rowing in the boat, they're rowing against the storm. You know, they're straining at the oars. They're, they're fighting against the wind and the waves because it says they were contrary, right? Peter was probably sweaty, muscles aching, fatigued, tired. You know, he just wants to get out of that situation. And what happened when Peter saw Jesus walking to them uh, on the water? Peter said to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus, well, so beautifully said to Peter, come. So Peter, I mean, he climbs out of the boat. He puts his, puts his foot on the water. Can you imagine what that must have been like, you know, it's testing it out, see if it's going to support his weight. He gets out of the boat. He starts walking on the water. But Peter took his eyes off the Lord. And as a result, says that he became fearful. He was afraid and he started to sink. And remember, Peter cries out to the Lord and Jesus, help, save me. And it says immediately, Jesus stretches out his hand, caught him and said to him, oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? The Lord picked Peter up and put him back in the boat. Don't you see that that's what the Lord will do? with each of us also. You know, I do. 
So often in the midst of the trial, so often in the midst of the struggle, you know, I want to get out of the boat. You know, I want to, I want to get out of the, the situation, right? How often, you know, I can feel discouraged uh, in the circumstances, sinking in depression and despair, all because my eyes are off the Lord, right? So I cry out to the Lord to help, for help, and the Lord, he reaches out to me, he grabs me by the hand, and he puts me right back in the boat. You know, right back in the situation I was so desperate to get out of. Why? Why, Lord? Why do you do that? The answer is because he has more to teach me there. Right? Jesus will most assuredly lift us up when we cry out to him. But very often what he does is he just puts us right back into the boat. But then he gets in the boat with us, which is, which is good news. Peter would also get himself in trouble because he said stupid stuff. I know, I'm sorry I said the S word. Stupid stuff. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter uh, and Jesus was there shining in all of his glory. And Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here, right? You're lucky that we're here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And we're told that Peter said this because he didn't know what to say. And they were greatly afraid. Man, how often have you said things that you've regretted? How often have I, have I said stupid stuff? You know, my mouth just running when my brain is switched off, right? How often have we said something just so idiotic that, that we just didn't, and the reason why is because we didn't know what to say. Because we were fearful and afraid not knowing what to say. You know, it's so important to learn to watch what we say. You know, it's something that each of us needs to be mindful of. You know, we need to bite our tongues at times, especially when, when we don't know what to say or even how to say it, right? C certainly when we don't have all the facts or when we're, when we're afraid, we need to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and even quicker to love. Right? Nothing will destroy a church. Nothing will destroy this church or any other church faster than when people are speaking and gossiping about others in and outside the church. Christians need to learn. We need to learn. Right? If, if what we're going to say, um, you know, is something that's not edifying, if it's something that's going to tear down another person instead of building them up, hey, don't say it. Keep it to yourself. You know, God loves us enough to take us to the woodshed if necessary. He, he's willing to apply the board of education to the seat of learning, um, if you know what I mean. He's willing to chasten the ones he loves, the Bible says. Jesus himself says it, Revelations 3, 9. He said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. We need to be willing to learn the easy way instead of like Peter, you know, insisting on, on going through a hard lesson to learn it. Paul says, Ephesians 4, 29, he says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it might impart grace to the hearer. Hey, let not, let's not be a people that are critical or opinionated in regards to brothers and sisters. 
right? Let's choose to be loving, gracious, and understanding, knowing that we don't have it all together either. Well, not only did Peter say stupid stuff, he struggled with pride also, right? This is something that we've uh, looked at in the past. Remember when uh, Jesus told Peter that he and the other disciples would forsake him, right? And Peter said with great bravado, you know, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And he goes on to say, even if I have to die, I will not deny you. I, I, I. Have you ever noticed I is the center of sin? You know what? It's actually also the center of pride. In Ephesians 16, six, uh, sorry, um, Proverbs 16, 6, it says, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. And you know what's at the top of that list? The very first thing, the number one thing on that list, pride. Right? Something else we see in Peter's life, he was prayerless. It's not that he never prayed, right? He prayed, Lord, help me, save me, right? But it's that he didn't labor in prayer when he needed to, right? Remember Matthew 26 when Jesus took Peter, James, and John further into the garden and asked them to pray with him, right? What does Peter do? He falls asleep, right? He wasn't disciplined in the ministry of prayer. And Jesus said to him, uh, Matthew 26, 40, Jesus comes upon him and says, what? Could you not watch with me uh, one hour? And as a result of Peter's prayerlessness, we see Peter acting in the flesh, right? We're told that Peter woke up and saw what was going on. He draws a sword. He cuts off the, the right ear of the high priest's servant. His name was Malchus. Acting in the flesh, acting independently of the Lord, acting contrary to God's plan is the inevitable outcome of prayerlessness. It's just what happens. Contrast Peter's action with the action of Jesus who was praying, right? He was able to rise up and face the things that were ahead of him in the power of the Spirit, you know, in the power and strength provided him by the Father, Peter's denial of the Lord, again, with cursing and swearing, mind you, was a direct result of his prayerlessness. You know, in all honesty, we're probably uh, all guilty of prayerlessness to some degree. But, you know, we can't let the enemy beat us down to get us down about that, condemning us for falling short, making us feel ashamed because, you know what, I'm just not praying as much as I ought to. We should allow that acknowledgement that we fall short in that area. We allow the Lord to work it in us, to surrender our hearts to him in this area and allow him to develop a greater discipline of prayer in our lives. After the resurrection, uh, we see Jesus, uh, sorry, we see Peter in John 21 in a backslidden state, right? He went back uh, to his old lifestyle. He went back to, to uh, fishing He's a fisherman, you know. But it's in that chapter we also see Jesus restoring Peter. And we read that Peter and some of the other guys, they were fishing all night. They caught nothing. And when Jesus asked them if they had any fish, they answered and said no. And Jesus told them, it always cracks me up. 
hey, cast your net on the other side of the boat. Well, that's the problem. I wasn't fishing on the right side of the boat. <laughs> I got to fish on the other side of the boat. But he says, cast your net on the other side of the boat, and you'll, you'll, you'll catch some fish. And when they were obedient to the command of the Lord, the result was a catch that was so great, they couldn't draw the net into the boat. And John says to Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter, after all of his failures, right, totally aware of, of how far short he falls, Peter knew that if it was if he could just get to Jesus, now everything will be okay. And it says that he put on his outer garments and he plunged into the sea to get to Jesus. And after they had eaten breakfast with Jesus, Jesus asked Peter, hey, Peter, do you love me? And again, you know the story. Jesus asked Peter three times. But then afterwards, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Right? After all that Peter had done, all the struggles that he had faced, all the failures, all the stupid things he'd said and done, Jesus repeated the words that he first said to Peter when he first called him. Peter, follow me. I think that Jesus is calling each of us back to our original call to follow him, to lay down our lives afresh, to give him our hearts anew without holding anything back. You know, last week we saw how God used Peter mightily, preaching on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people uh, turning their lives over to Jesus. And next week, Lord willing, when we get into Acts chapter 3, we're going to see Peter being used by God again very mightily, healing a lame man. But this is the point. Peter didn't let his trials, his struggles, his difficulties or failures, he didn't allow those things to overpower his faith in a Savior. And God never gave up on Peter. Right? The Lord's heart was to restore him and to use him for his glory. And that's the Lord's heart for each of us today, for you and for me. And we can't allow, you can't allow your struggles, your difficulties, your failures to overpower your faith in the Savior. God's heart is for each of us, I believe, to honestly consider the place that we've allowed him to take in our lives, to consider our level of surrender, to honestly take stock of what our devotional life, our prayer life looks like. And honestly, what does it look like? How are you doing? Are you watching and praying? Are you living for his glory alone? Are, you, are, you, um, are your affections divided? You know, I think the Lord wants us to know. If we've drifted, hey, it's okay. It's okay. He's calling us back. He's calling us to follow him again. If we've drifted, let's, let's recommit our lives to him if that's what's necessary. You know, let's get back to those days when Jesus was all we could talk about. Get back to days where, you know what, reading the Bible and learning about him was all we wanted to do. You know, let's put him first in our lives again. 
You know, I believe if we'll do that, uh, we'll see God do radical things in and through our lives. Look how the Lord used Peter after he responded to the Lord's call to follow him once and for all. Hey, you know what? Maybe you've blown it. Maybe, maybe you say stupid stuff and do stupid stuff. Hey, we all do. Maybe you, you've denied the Lord in difficult moments. We've all failed. It's okay. The Lord isn't down on you and he isn't done with you, right? He's not willing to abandon you because you mess up. One of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 24, 16, it says, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. The idea is you're going to fall. You know what? Part of walking is falling, right? And you're probably going to fall a lot. But in contrast between the righteous and the wicked, the contrast is that the, the righteous man, when he falls, he gets up. When the wicked man falls, he just stays down. He gives up and gives in to his defeat. You know what? If you've fallen, get up, right? And get back in the game. Get back to following Jesus. He's not giving up on you. God uses ordinary people to to accomplish extraordinary things. And he wants to use you and me for his glory. You know, who else didn't give up on Peter? We're going to see it in Acts 3. Uh, and I encourage you, hey, read Acts 3 this week and meditate on it. But in Acts 3, we're going to see that John doesn't give up on Peter either. We're going to read that Peter and John went up to, together to the temple at the hour of prayer. You know, through all the struggles, through all the stupid stuff, John stayed with Peter. Hey, let's not give up on each other. Let's not give up on one another. Sometimes it's easy to say, you know what? I've just had about enough. You know, I'm done with you. I, I can't even anymore. You know, I can't deal with you. But how beautiful is it to see brothers and sisters hanging in there during hard times? Right in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the struggles, in the midst of their failures. How precious is it to see people encouraging their brothers and sisters in the Lord, encouraging them to keep running the race. You know, I, I, I called a, a brother this, this week, talked to him, and he's just like, man, I'm just struggling so hard. Hey, the answer is not to be isolated. Get involved in fellowship. Let's get going. Let's encourage one another to run the race. You know, keep going through the difficulties. Let's bear one another's burdens. Right? Let's speak God's word to each other, encouraging each other in the Lord. Right? Let's love one another, just like John loved Peter and stuck with him. Again, I believe if we'll do this and be in obedience to the word of God, then what will happen is we'll witness the Lord working in our brothers and sisters' life and we'll enjoy seeing them being fruitful for Jesus. We'll rejoice seeing them be a fruitful witness for our Savior, just like John rejoiced in Peter on that day of Pentecost, right? Peter is given to us as an example. I encourage you, think through these things. I'll go through them again this week. Meditate on them. Let's learn from his example and follow Jesus, forsaking all others, everything else. Follow Jesus and allowing him to accomplish his will in our lives. Let's pray. 
Lord, I'm so thankful for your word. Lord, and this is just, for me, it's been a productive Bible study this week. Just to reflect on where I'm at with you. Just to reflect on, on who you are. Who you truly are. Just to reflect on your glory. Your, your splendor. Your majesty. To try to just understand, Lord, your love and your desire for me, for us. Lord, I just pray you would speak to each one of our hearts in a fresh way. And Lord, if there's a commitment that needs to be made, a recommitment, Lord, give us the courage to just get on our knees before you and just commit our lives afresh to you. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.